everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. Today, I am speaking with returning guest Scott Makita, who previously appeared on this show to talk about Cavern that closed the island tour on April 5th, 1998. But for today's episode, Scott moved from talking about a single song to a full set. And that set is one of the most legendary of Fish's career, set two of December 31st, 2013, otherwise known as the Jemp Truck Set. Please forgive hyperbole, but Fish fans can be quite a divisive fan base. What one fan considers to be the greatest performance ever seen, the next fan over may consider the same show to be the band's lowest point ever. It is exceedingly rare for the fan base to agree that a song, a set, or even an entire show is special, but this set hits that mark. Taking us back in time to an era that is long gone, Fish simultaneously celebrated their past, their present, and their future at the end of their 30th year together. They did this through the stage setup, their setless choices, and the straight narration to the audience. But I don't want to spoil it. Let's join Scott Makita to talk about the secret security entrance to Madison Square Garden, bringing a pen light to read during a show, and rumors that never happened in 2013 as we dig into the Jemp Truck set from December 31st, 2013 at Madison Square Garden. Scott, thank you for coming back to Attendance Bias. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me once again. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Scott was last here, I think the episode aired in November, to talk about the cavern from the very end of the island tour on April 5th. And for everyone to go back and listen to it, that would really be in your best interest. But Scott, if you could just remind us, what about that was so special to you before we dig into today's episode about the Jump truck set? What was it about that cavern that got to you and you wanted to talk about last time? Man, that cavern was so unique in every sense of the word. Just played at a different speed. It was slowed down. It was funked out. It was uh, it was just everything for me at the moment. I think, uh, you know, t- reliving that particular moment and getting to talk about it with you was great. And uh, it, again, yeah, like you said, if anybody hasn't heard the 4598 cavern, definitely dig into that soon. And I was also saying, anyone who hasn't heard that podcast of Scott <laughs> talking about it, you should listen to that too. But yeah, in that order, listen to the cavern and then go back to attendance bias and yeah, check out definitely that. Definitely do both. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely do both. So today we are here to talk about a different show. And really, I've never done this before. I don't think on attendance bias, but a single set of a show. And I'm glad that we decided on this because this set, in my opinion, is the most special set of fish that I've seen live and in person. I wasn't at Big Cypress, and I could name other sets that might have better music or better jams. But in terms of sentimentality and what it meant to me, you know, I'll say my piece, but I'm excited to hear your piece about it. And that is the Jemp Truck Set, which is set two of New Year's Eve at Madison Square Garden 2013. And before we get to that, the New Year's run, your perspective on the Jemp Truck Set, Scott, let's get to know you a little bit. You've already done a lightning round, so you are going to be the first guest to do a double lightning round. How does that feel? Are you are you prepared? Talk about excitement, man. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Started Very 100 cool. miles per hour and we don't let up. 
Attendance bias lightning round. So this question was asked last time, but to remind people, what was your first fish show? Uh, my first show was 123095 at MSG. I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to, to get tickets for 1231. But yeah, 123095, Scorcher. What were Very your best memories? I think overall that Harry Hood from that night uh stands out, but the um it's ice kung back into its ice was freaking wild man but very fun night overall and uh i love the garden and i've continued to go back to the garden and will continue to go back to the garden <laughs> it's just the best place to see fish play so same here so what was your most recent show and what did you think of it uh most recent was uh hershey night two eight eleven twenty one I, I thought it was, you know, it was great. I only got to do uh, the three Deer Creek shows and then the two at Hershey. But after leaving Deer Creek, which I thought was a fantastic three night run, the uh, the first night at Hershey was a little bit of a letdown. Part of it was, you know, we got in late. The weather was crappy. It was raining. There was thunder and lightning. And I was almost certain there was going to be a delay. But the second night, you know, my last show that I did see the second night of Hershey was a smoker. I thought, uh, you know, right out of the gate with you sexy thing and the wombat. And they just kept bringing it back all night. It was a lot of fun. So. so lightning round question specific to this episode, a song that they didn't play during the jump truck set that you wish they had. Yeah, this one was a little tricky because, I mean, you could have subbed in really any of the game hen stuff that they didn't play. But I thought uh, placement wise, McGrupp would have fit real nice somewhere right in the middle or you know maybe the two two or three songs into that uh particular set but uh yeah i mean i you know i, I didn't end up missing it i guess but if i don't know being asked that question mcgrupp seems like the, the one song that i thought would have fit pretty nicely in there right to be clear i'm not asking you to complain that's not <laughs> <laughs> no no not at all i apologize no complaining yeah. Like, cause I thought of it too. I like to almost answer the own, my own lightning round questions at the same time to put myself in the guest's position. That's why I got rid of a whole bunch of them from previous episodes. And I didn't miss it either, but I thought destiny unbound also would have fit pretty nicely in this set. Okay. I could see that. But next question, a bucket list venue that you've never been to. Definitely the gorge. I mean, number one on the list. It doesn't seem like fish will be going back to Red Rocks anytime soon, which I also haven't been to. But to see fish at, it's got to be the gorge. What's the fish show you've been to with the worst weather? I came up with these questions during a snowstorm, by the way. It would have to be Coventry. I mean, that was just an absolute disaster. So bad that, you know, I was one of the ones that listened to the radio when it said to go home, the bunny or whatever, that if you're not already in, you're not going to get in and we were, I was with a buddy of mine that had a couple kids, like a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and there was no way we were going to hike 10 miles off the highway and then another 10 miles to the venue. So we called it and listened to what they told us, and we took off. And, of course, we ended up missing it, but it was all a weather catastrophe, which led to us not getting in. So, Do you woo at all? Always during twists, never during vultures. I agree with you. wooing I can get down on when the moment's right. You know, I'm not going to be one of those complainers about people wooing and tweezer, but you know, when the moment's right, you woo. How many claps in stash? Uh, three. 
I felt like originally back in probably 1.0 days, you know, the late nineties, it was more probably of a three, four five kind of combo. I feel like I've realized over the years, it's just three claps. That's it. I always thought it was two. My girlfriend also says three. Am I wrong? I don't like to say anybody's right or wrong <laughs> when it comes to fish. So, I mean, everybody has their own opinion, but you know, I, I felt like from the original uh, studio recording, it was kind of in time with fish's beat you know which sounded more like three four five to me but uh it's just three now i mean for me at least what is your most controversial fish opinion i am not a big fan of halfway to the moon at all i actually think that that song is and i i don't really have any other songs that i would say i fully dislike there's some that are eh, okay but Halfway to the moon, I just, I, I can't get into that song, no matter what. What is your favorite post-show snack? Any kind of meat. Beef jerky, <laughs> hot dog, a hamburger, a sausage. What is the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? I forget when it was. I think it was fall of 97 or 98, uh, late 1.0, but someone had purchased the fish book they were selling them uh in the venue richard gears the fish book i believe it is the author richard gear but uh he was reading it throughout the whole first set with like a little mini flashlight and it's just you know big blow up pictures of them on stage and he had a little mini flashlight and he's reading it along and uh i just kept thinking to myself like four songs in and he's still reading the book like just look up <laughs> what's what you're looking at in the book is happening right in front of you right now. Like, I, I don't know. It was very strange to me. When was this show played? The context of today's show. So let's look over the new year's run in 2013. It was a traditional 28th to the 31st. Uh, I attended three out of four of the shows and the new year's Eve run followed of an extremely well-regarded fall tour. Uh, in my opinion, it was their best up to that point. And show after show, it featured Bliss-style jamming, which is these major keys that build and build. They're really experts at dynamics and getting the crowd into a frenzy, like this kind of ecstatic peak. Did you hit any of those shows on that fall tour? I hit the Hartford show and the Hartford show only. That was the... Uh what I thought would be the only show I would see in 2013. Um, but I ended up getting the new year's ticket too. But that Hartford show was like, I don't know. The first set ended and I was like, this is not good. Really? The second set was so good, but yeah, I think overall uh, the fall tour of 13 was a big turning point for the band. So. Agreed. And then I remember this motif that went throughout 2013 in that everyone was well aware that it was Fish's 30th anniversary. And I remember toward the end of 2012, when they did the golf New Year's show, that there were a lot of rumors being spread about what the 30th anniversary year would bring. Some of the, um, the rumors that I remember hearing were like hit and run shows where the band would play small venues from the past. Uh, some that I remember reading about in rumor threads were the Cumberland County Civic Center in Portland or the Nassau Coliseum, where they would announce these shows just 48 hours in advance in places they knew would sell out right. and play them. And I thought that sounded great. It didn't happen, 
but it's a cool idea. Right. Interesting. Nonetheless, you know, but that's, that's kind of how the rumorville goes. Right. I remember they were talking about uh, like Hawaii and they were, they were teasing wipeout and everything for a while on uh, what was that? 97, 98. Yeah. 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 So same kind of thing. Yeah. There were, I remember other rumors would be a 10th festival, uh, which would be in the Poconos. Another rumor that I remember would be a really fun late eighties, grateful dead style tour where the band would only pick like five different venues and each venue would get like five or eight shows at a time. You know, like the dead used to do with Madison square garden and Boston garden, because none of those came to fruition. None of that happened. And fish didn't really acknowledge the 30 year anniversary at all throughout the summer or fall. They never mentioned it. So it let the audience us psychos invent all these plausible and frankly, implausible ways for the band to celebrate it. Nothing was proven or disproven until the dates passed. Or to not think about it at all. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I mean, I certainly wasn't as involved on, say, Twitter or social media back in late 2013 as I am per se now. So, yeah. Um, and I was never a big message board guy or anything like that. So you could have just kind of been not in the know and then been like, oh, yeah, it has been 30 years. you know? Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was pretty fun for a band that seems in on all the jokes and fans like me who live for theatrics and references to themselves. It was like waiting for a show that they never came that never came. And so this is the Fortnite run, just some details some trivia where Tom Marshall posted his tweet about fish playing four nights at Madison Square Garden of all originals. And then he said, put that bread in your in your jar, piano man. Which I don't know. I know you said you weren't very much into online, but this whole fish Billy Joel thing—that's what started it. It's great, and it's great knowing that, like, through this and uh, you know some of the pre-gaming for this and getting some of your feedback on it and hearing that, I actually it's the first time I've ever heard that. So, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know it originated with this run. So, and I felt very caught in the middle because I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. I mean, you know, you know, plenty of the guy's songs over the years and a lot of them are good. So trust me, of everyone I've spoken to on this podcast and fish fans in general, almost no one would say they're a huge Billy Joel fan. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, on the 30th of this run, uh, December 30th, the band put up what would, what would become the overhead lights on the Jump truck set. It was under the Jumbotron at Madison Square Garden. If you went online, you could see there's like Zapruder style photographs of what's under the Jumbotron. Everyone noticed it, but no one could tell what it was. That's really cool. I did, yeah, I didn't know that either. So. so it's fun looking back in retrospect, but at the time it's like, all right, it's got to be something. Are they going to play on top of the Jumbotron? I remember I remember thinking and I was off by a little bit <laughs> just looking at it the wrong way. I mean, it, again, my story of getting there is just insane it was so uh improbable that i would have been there on new year's eve and then it all just kind of came together oddly enough um is so. that a story you're willing to tell yeah you know at work i had kind of met the um the vice president of operations of at like msg and i don't know i i, I should know his name because this was a huge deal at the time you know my 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 man one of the managers that worked for me at the time was very um kind of close with him he had been helping him for a few years i guess he introduced him to me and told him 
you know, he know he I've known him for a long time, the manager. So we he had known that I had never seen fish uh on New Year's Eve, but I've always wanted to. And there were, you know, three years out of four that I saw them on the 30th, and that was the closest I got. And uh, you know, we were just talking for a little while and I was telling him and he was telling me back that like fish fans are the best and uh you know, they, they always fill the place. And, uh, we just kind of went back and forth for a little while. And it was, you know, one of those maybe like two minute conversations, we shook hands and just parted ways and never really thought anything about it. Right. So it's Christmas Eve and I'm at work and, you know, the day it ended or whatever, and we're leaving. And, the, and my buddy, Mike, the manager was like, by the way, you're going to see fish on new year's Eve. And I was like, yeah, I wish, you know, like, yeah, I really wish that's exactly what I want to do. But yeah, that's not going to happen. And uh, he was like, no, you're going, man. I'm serious. I, I made it happen. I talked to him and, you know, you got four tickets there. You just got to go there. And he gave me this little piece of paper with instructions on where to go. And my name will be on some clipboard. So I have no tickets, right? I have no tickets in hand. I go down with a buddy of mine, my younger brother, another friend of ours. And we're supposed to go on like the employee entrance and all this wild stuff. And like, it's, it just doesn't seem right. Like there's this tight little sidewalk that goes to the employee entrance and there's all these security guards. And I'm like, I, I don't know, man. And we walk in and they're like, who? I'm like, yeah, I'm Scott Makita. And they're like, you're Scott Makita. You come with me right now. And like, Whoa. they grab me and my three friends. And I mean, you know, quick pat down and then boom. And like this backdoor elevator. And we literally popped up backstage and i remember as soon as the door opened gordon goes by on a golf cart and like just kind of waves nonchalantly you know and i'm like holy shit we're backstage right now at msg and we got walked out onto the floor we're all given bracelets uh wristbands and that was it that's where we were supposed to be and there were like no words spoken by the people that escorted us there they were just like waving like come on follow me this way this way no idea where I'm going. I don't know if I'm in the rafters. I don't, I don't even know how we got in and any of this worked. It was just trust the guy. We're going to do it. It's all going to work out. And it did. And it was incredible, man. Just an incredible night. Wow. What a story. That's so great. It's crazy. Um, and, and it starts off with, with a wild goose chase. You know, like so, like just showing up to a guy with a clipboard, nothing in hand. I would. Dude, be we sweating. walked by that entrance like five times. We just paced back and forth. Like, I don't know, man. Should we do it? That's what he said. Like, we gotta go that way. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. Those dudes are big at the door. I think that guy's got a gun. Like, I don't know. We we're just kind of having like a breakdown. Like, fuck. We don't even have tickets. What are we doing? This is so stupid. It's not gonna work. And it all just did. They were like, Scott Makita, holy shit. Yeah, come with me right now. And like, wow. Amazing, man. Just amazing. After the first set, during set break, there was a video that played overhead and it showed Fishman packing up all the gear from all the previous New Year's Eve gags. And I thought that was a great touch. He's like in this warehouse, you know, getting... Uh, like a hot dog together and a golf cart and all the different knickknacks that are recognizable. And it's almost like a bunch of Easter eggs. You know, you know it only if you know the band's history. And then he puts it in this big box truck, drives them from Burlington to New York City. Right. And I didn't know personally what it was building toward. 
but I was really thrilled when it began to unfold. Did you have like, were you able to see the video from the floor? Oh yeah. The video was awesome. I mean, right before the video, I don't know if you remember this at the end of the first set, they actually carried out what looked like a, a, a like a keyboard or a piano. And yes. uh, it was a cake. And they actually cut a few pieces of it out and we're handing a couple pieces out to maybe like two or three fans at most. And like the, you know, somewhere in the front, they were just like handed slices of this keyboard cake that I I swore from my vantage view. I mean, I was probably 20 rows back page side and it came out kind of mic side is where they put the keyboard down, the keyboard cake. And it looked like a keyboard to me until they cut into it. But I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, my God, what are we doing here? Is this like keyboard army going to happen? And then they cut it up and like handed it out. And it was a cake and it was the big 30th anniversary. And then I think like they walked off stage and it went into that the video that you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I watched the whole thing. It was it was freaking awesome. The cake, I remember. Popped up. Yeah, I could see it from where I was. Of course, it did not look like a cake to me, but they posed with it. Right. They put the. The famous yep. Colorado 88 background. I think the picture's from Telluride. Right. And they right. posed walking halfway through with Paige and Trey. And then, yeah, they ate the cake. That's right. They did have that little pause moment, too. That was very cool. My brother actually tried to go down and get a piece, but you know how the rail riders are. So, oh, yeah. Back off. They That's weren't having cake. this guy coming up trying to get a piece of cake. And that did yeah. not work out. So, you did not wait in line for this cake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I also remember that they started, they being security and MSG started like clearing the floor a little bit, right? They kind of made a, um, like a pathway for yeah, see, the that, truck. I didn't notice because that was, I mean, behind me more or less. Cause I was, I guess that came out in the middle of the floor. So I was in the middle of the middle of the floor and the stage more or less. So I didn't even know that all that clearing or whatever was kind of happening behind me, but I was straight back. And so it became very clear once the truck came out that the band was going to play a set while on top of the truck. And that's why the lights now were under the Jumbotron that all clicked all of a sudden. And more than that, they were going to play a set while using their oldest stage setup from those pictures that, you know, from your your buddy would know in the fish book. Right, right. (laughs) And Paige was sitting on milk crates. Uh, They had the old can lights and all of their old gear with hockey sticks as mic stands. And my view of it is that they created a time machine, basically. They took all of Madison Square Garden back to 1986 or 1987. I thought it was a wonderful concept. And it was executed with almost a minimalist style stagecraft. You know, a lot of their New Year's gags are very, very big. Correct. This was pretty simple. I mean, right. not that it was easy. There weren't all the theatrics to it. It was just a, a nice, simple setup, but it had that super old school vibe to it. It was very cool. Yeah, I loved it. And I thought that this was a gift to the big fish nerds. You know, so I, I, I hate to kind of like jump in here for another yeah. minute or two and tell you something else about this. But Do it. You're the guest. as it started to happen and I realized that they were, you know, coming up on top of it to play their set. I actually saw another band at MSG a year or two prior. I don't remember exactly if it was 11 or 12, but uh, this band Dispatch, which is a three-man independent act. They're actually, I think they might still be the only independent unsigned artist to ever sell out MSG. Um, And they sold out so quick for two nights that they added a third or whatever. But they actually did the same thing, but where they rolled out their... uh, 
wimpy their their tour bus or whatever that they used to go around on back in the early days and they played a whole acoustic set on top of that so i was just in msg watching this band do what fish was just about to do and it i i just i don't know it was so wild but you know as much as i'd love to say it was the most original thing i've ever seen it actually wasn't (laughs) at the time but it was still you know an awesome awesome set but oddly enough dispatch beat them to it with their original tour bus so i thought that but i really thought that it was it was like a gift you know how many times would anyone expect to hear songs like forbins and mockingbird iculus llama uh lizards fuck your face all these songs a whole set of in nothing one set. past lawn boy a whole set of nothing past lawn the album lawn boy of like 92 everything 92 yeah. or earlier I'm, I'm sure that information's out there. I'd like to see what the latest song debuted was that they played. Off the top of my head, I would guess Split Open and Melt. Right. It would have to be. Because, I mean, Llama came out long before, and uh, Glide was on um, Picture of Nectar. So was Llama, yeah. So, right. Which is weird. And a lot of the songs aren't on any albums. Correct. I mean, that's got to be the most special thing about this set is just the age of the songs. I mean, yes, you got a good chunk of Game Henge in there, but then everything else they played was it was all old school. It was perfect. It was just so great. The set starts with Glide and I jumped right out of my skin. I've said a billion times on this podcast that it's my favorite song still is. And it sounded pretty different because fishman had a really old school drum set set up it's like the same kind right. of drum set that you might buy as a starter set sam goody or uh sam ash or guitar scaled way down to say the least it was definitely a scaled down set so yeah for a song that centers very largely on woodblocks and cowbells there was none to be had it took me even a few seconds to even calculate that it was glide and the crowd cheer about a minute in is inspiring. Right. It really is. through tray off because <laughs> there were a couple slip ups early but they you know they got right into it uh didn't come out that clean but it got there and it was great i mean i love hearing how who doesn't like hearing glide so it's right. awesome i opened that set and i thought that they must have really practiced this pretty hard because if especially fishman because that muscle memory of being a drummer he knows where every single part of his drum set is and now it's i don't know four-fifths of it is gone yeah 
Well, Fishman's an octopus, so it's you know, he's just got eight eight different limbs going at all times. <laughs> and you can give him just the snare and a bass drum and a hi hat, and he he could kill it. So, and they do. Uh, next up, though, yeah. is Lava, which is a killer. Fishman snare drum page. They're so loud. Have you listened to this recently? Oh yeah, I have actually, and I think it's an absolutely ripping version. It's full speed ahead. We are not talking slow. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was, yeah, let's go. of it i'm speaking for myself but i'm curious what you think that if you close your eyes and forget they're at msg it really sounds like the early 90s like it really could be 1991 that's what i mean by saying it's just ripping i mean it it sounded like old school trey just like going for it and uh I, i don't know that they you know typically play at that speed anymore uh with that song but i i felt it that night it, it definitely yeah. seemed like a, a young version to follow up, Llama was Colonel Forbins and Mockingbird. And it was right around here that I realized that the set list was part of the gag. That was incredible when Forbins started. Just, I, I, I just remember the energy being at it. Like, I was looking around at that point, like, are you guys serious right now? <laughs> this is happening? incredible 
And then obviously Mockingbird is always one of the harder songs in the whole, I think in the whole arsenal for Trey to play. And after again, another maybe little minor tweak at the beginning of it, it, it rebounded nicely and the story and, uh, you know, that's what I love about a song like that is you're going to get a little Trey story. It might not be long anymore like it used to be and all elaborate, but you're, you're going to get a little bit of story time involved. So, so fun. Well, yeah, I listened to the set today and Mockingbird gets pretty brutal for people who really value. I was being nice. <laughs> yeah, I know you were. I know you were. But but it does get pretty, pretty bad uh, for Trey. But. As a teacher, I always have to look on the positive side of things. I always look for compliments for my students. And so my compliment that came from this, finding the positive in the uh, botched guitar part of Mockingbird, is that the rest of the band doesn't stop. They don't slow down. They don't cut out. They just keep playing as if Trey is nailing it in 1992. And to me, that speaks to the trust that they have in one another. I was just going to say, I think it was more of a faith in Trey that he'll come back around and he'll get there at some point. Well, you just keep playing and he'll find it. And it worked. I mean, it took a minute, but or not a whole minute, but it took a little <laughs> bit and then it got there. And it's really touching to, you know, to not to get too cheesy, but it is, you know, I've been in bands when someone screws up, whether it's the singer and screws up a lyric or the guitarist butchers a solo, you know, whatever, what have you the other members of the band typically stop and look at that player. Right. A full stop. Like, what are you right. doing? Man? <laughs> yeah. And, and that wasn't even close here. You know, they just kept, kept it going. Uh, do you remember around at what point you realized what was going on with the set list, that it wasn't just that they were playing a set on their old gear, but they were also playing as though it were 1991. I would have to think through the story of, uh, Mockingbird, but once you you got out of all right, so we start Glide Llama Forbin Mockingbird, and then fuck your face happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was right at that moment, right? Because that would probably be like the middle point of the set, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, and it was like, all right, all right. Well, we're halfway through, and this is all old school shit, and I love it. Let's stay here. Let's, you know, this has to be what's going on at some point. You know, you just realize like this is special. I mean, you knew it was special by the setup regardless, but they really took special to the next level with what they played. And this is, you know, another example of uh, it just being so perfect that it was all old school. Yeah, agreed. I remember there was one point. It might have, it was during a pause. It might have been between Mockingbird and Fuck Your Face where, I was um feeling pretty good and I started shouting as loud as I could to the people around us. This is a gift. We should appreciate this. We should all appreciate this. So if you were near me, I apologize. But probably didn't hear you, but at the same point, I was probably saying a lot of similar things. I, I know when when it gets me, the hat comes off and I just <laughs> don't care that my bald head's exposed to everybody and I am looking around like are you guys hearing this are you seeing this like yeah. do you understand what's happening right now we you sound uh, we sound so just great. like each other how happy <laughs> am i right i've i've as big a smile now as i did then <laughs> and then they followed fuck your face up with reba which is a classic it's never really been out of the rotation and it's a i good thought reba. It, was, it is a really good reba <laughs> good reba man yeah. i like this reba a lot 
I've gone back to it a few times over the years since, and it's, it's a good Reba. too it's either this or later split open and melt i would say for the two best jams of this set uh but this set isn't even really about jams even though they're able to to lift it up this way uh i thought it was fun how the first half of the set were like weird five to six minute standalone songs but the second set the second half of the second set have all the have the two big jams in it it's like the mirror of the band's career yeah for the most part totally and then after that is, I mean, this is the cherry. This is really, there's no, there's no walking out after this. It's Iculus. The only this one Iculus. played at Man. MSG. This Iculus is so incredible. And Trey looking around and saying, you know, I could tell a lot of you haven't read the book. And, <laughs> you know, then it's just like, read the fucking book. And I mean, that the energy was the best part, I thought, of this whole set. The energy surrounding you and in the whole building, everybody was getting into it. Everybody that hadn't read the book at that moment wanted to know what the fuck the <laughs> book was. And everybody else that had read the book was like, fuck yeah, you know, it was just like <laughs> one of those fucking great moments, man, that, yeah, you'll never forget. Just it was an all-timer for sure and i wonder how much trey's tone because 3.0 versions of iculus seem to be the only word i could think of is punitive it's like trey's pissed off at people he's always criticizing the crowd like in 2009 in hartford hartford yeah it was there nobody reads anymore you know pick up a fucking book that whole thing and this is some of you aren't getting the message you know read the book and i'm like i wonder how much is real and how much is just Trey being the goofball that he is. I have a feeling it's like, I don't know, 80, 20 Trey being a goofball, 20% really a little frustrated with the fan base. He made that. So he made the Iculus very fun with his yeah. antics. For yeah. none of this, but it was Thank you. 
you'll get the message. That's how we got it in the first place. You won't find this book at Barnes and Nobles. But I really want you, before you leave here tonight and move into the next 30 years, to take my advice after all this time and read the fucking book! And afterward, he almost apologizes. He says, in all seriousness, we used to play that song every Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday at Nectar's, and I never thought we'd be playing at Madison Square Garden. Right. But I and like he, that Paige said, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He asked me, like the first to Paige. Paige, did you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Follow-up Iculus with Lizards. I mean, this is the stuff dreams are made of. It, it just kept getting better. It was amazing. Like, all right, how are they going to top this after every song ends? And they just kept doing it. It was great. And to close the whole thing was split open and melt, which I sometimes forget how old it is. Right. You know, because I when I was getting into fish, I listened to a lot of 1994 and 93. And that yeah. was when, in my opinion, split open and melt was really at its big, energetic, weird peak. And I'm sure there's arguments, you know, otherwise. To me, Split Open and Melt was really new around that time, which is not true. Yeah, I got in a little earlier than you. I'd say I was probably listening. I mean, I started listening in 93, but two shows from most likely like 91, I kind of remember a lot of shows from. So, uh, but also, you know, right up until that point, I I got to think Melt's the old, the, the newest song of the songs they played. Yeah, I got I to gotta think so. Well, you know, I have the fact check, so that's my job. We'll get there. Check it out. Uh, but yeah, this split open and melt starts fairly conventional. You know, Trey's kind of poking around with the band is chasing him in a sense. And my thought is it doesn't exactly go anywhere big, but maybe that's the point of this jam. that They just kind of let it marinate for a long while. And then eventually they bring it back at around eight minutes.
pretty solid as a whole. I, I mean, I, you're right. It doesn't go all that deep, but um, it was played fairly well. So, and that goes a long way too. A hundred percent. And that's it. That's the whole set. It's probably just over an hour. So great. But it lasts a lifetime. Absolutely. And there wasn't anything special in the first set or really the third set to take anything away from what happened in that second set. And that's a big part of, you know, how special it was. Like, I, I thought the light in the second set was cool and ended it with a y, uh, YM and YM, however you say it. I don't know. Uh, and then the first set, you know, had a good divided sky, but there wasn't anything really excellent to talk about in either one of the other sets so it, it i think it had more of an effect on how good the second set was that there wasn't anything that kind of overshadowed or peaked above anything that happened in that entire second set so it was it was perfect well scott thanks so much for being on here to talk about this extra special set that at least in my memory will live you know if i'm on my deathbed and i forget everything the names of my loved ones i hope that i still remember this set and the way it made me feel and you're a good sport you're a good man thank you so much for being on here to tell us that amazing story of how you ended up there and then just sharing this emotion about it with us thank you once again for having me brian i appreciate it And that's it for my interview with Scott Makita about the Jemp truck set from December 31st, 2013, the middle set of New Year's Eve. And since we were dealing with so many songs that were played way back from the beginning of the band's career, it is only prudent to do an attendance bias fact check. Attendance bias fact check. Scott said that the only show he saw on the fall 2013 tour was in Hartford, That show was on October 27th, 2013. It featured a rock and roll opener in tribute to Lou Reed, who recently passed away. And funny enough, that show has been covered on this podcast with Cully Narramore of Treehouse Brewing. Check out that episode if you want a great breakdown of fish and some of the best beer in the country. When going over the old school set list of this set, Scott and I guessed which song was the most recently debuted. I guessed Split Open and Melt, and Scott readily agreed, saying it again later in the show. But it turns out that we were both wrong. Split Open and Melt had its live debut on February 17, 1989, at the Old Stone Church in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Meanwhile, the actual answer to our question is Glide. Glide was the most recently debuted song. While every other song in the set was debuted before 1990, Glide was played relatively late in terms of its live debut, compared to the rest of the set, on September 27th, 1991, at the Warehouse in Rochester, New York. When going over the version of Iculus during this set, I brought up the version from Hartford in 2009, a show that Scott was also in attendance for. That show was on August 14th of that year, and it was in the middle of an insane second set, maybe the best of the year. I recorded a mini episode about that version of Iculus, so after you're done with this one, feel free to scroll back and find it. That episode first aired on December 16th, 2020. And finally, toward the very end of our conversation, I estimated that the Jemp truck set lasted for just over an hour. I was pretty spot on. The set is one hour and five minutes.
And that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Scott Makita for joining me today, Fish.net for its help with the fact check, and Fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, it would be a huge help if you could support the show by leaving a rating and a review of it on your favorite podcast app. Also, please follow Attendance Bias on social media. I'm usually most active on Instagram and Twitter. Reach out, say hello, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again so much for listening, and I will see you next week on Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.